Hello, I'm Becky Hadid, host of The Storied Recipe. As my weekly guests share their stories through the vessel of cherished food memories, we all become better cooks, more grateful for the gift of food, and we honor those that have loved us through their cooking. Helen Awe is a natural-born storyteller. Those of us who follow her on Instagram are constantly sharing her content, not only because of the beautiful imagery, but also for the intimate and detailed memories of her childhood that she shares in every post. Sometimes sad, sometimes funny, but always, always poignant, Helen's words usually feature her parents, who are first-generation immigrants from Vietnam, and the sacrifices that they made for their three children. I really couldn't wait to talk to Helen and hear more about her parents. So, imagine my surprise when Helen shared that, at the time of our interview, she was in fact estranged from her parents. And as Helen worked on finding her way back to a healthy relationship with her family, it was food that paved the way. Food, as it turns out, was what bonded tiny little Helen to her mother, and what has enabled Helen to speak of her parents with so much love and respect through their estrangement. In this episode, we learn from Helen that food is truly a love language. Food is the thread that tightly binds together generations through the complexities of life, especially the life of a young woman searching for her identity as an adult and as an Asian American. Oh, Helen, I'm so happy to talk to you. I might even burst into tears here. <laughs> Me too. I've been waiting. I woke up this morning. I was so excited. I was like, I'm finally able to talk to you. Oh, to mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I just really do want to thank you for being such an encouraging presence on Instagram. And not just to me, but you really spread so much light to so many people. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad I'm connected with you. Like you've helped me rethink a lot of things and we're probably going to talk about it, but (laughs) (laughs) one thing I just love every time I see a post from you, I really can't wait to read the caption. And that's not typical, as you know, for Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) But I can't wait to read the caption because I know it's going to be thoughtful. And I know that more often than not, there's going to be some sort of very personal story or history shared. And I know that that takes a lot of work. And I'm just so curious what makes you, you know, so connected with them. It just seems like you feel so close to your family and so proud of your heritage. I'm going to like, I'm going to tell you like a little bit about my story. I've always loved food. Um, Like from my captions, like growing up, I, so I'm the middle out of two other siblings. I have an older sister and a younger brother, but none of them like to cook or be in the kitchen. But Mm -hmm. I somehow, since I was little, loved to be in the kitchen with my mom, even though she would yell at me all the time when I'm like (laughs) constantly like tagging behind her and she won't like be free any second. (laughs) Uh, when the kitchen is like kind of like her own home yeah I think that's where my love for food grew and then I started my page like two years ago after I graduated from college I really didn't know what I wanted to do I studied nursing actually really Mm -hmm. yeah so I went through with it but it was a rough four years and there were things going on at home and ups and downs and it made me realize that 
that wasn't really the route that I wanted to take. And so at that point, I basically reflected a lot and asked myself what I loved the most. And it was always about food. And even in college, I tried to find ways to connect back to it. I'll always bake whenever I'm at any like meetings. I'll bring something. And then I actually did a summer study abroad program in Paris doing a food writing course. And that was just amazing. And I was like so happy when I was there that month and a half. And mm-hmm. it to stick with me throughout like college. And so after I graduated, I started doing social media more, looked into it and then saw all the beautiful photos of, like people would post. And so I started doing restaurant reviews because I wanted to try different foods. There are some things going on at home. And so it's, it might be surprising. I talk about my family a lot, but we're not actually connected mm. right now. Just So I actually left home 2019 and I moved to Austin because things were getting really bad. And so I was so lost when I was there just trying to find myself again and I like continued to keep the camera that I bought with me before I left and when I got to Austin I just held on to it and just started learning food photography there and doing more recipes and at first it was just like showing recipes and like sending like little positive notes but then <laughs> you uh, have a gift for that <laughs> <laughs> I was just going through a lot and I just don't want people to feel like they're alone all the time. Mm-hmm. And so with the Black Lives Movement, I am having to be home, like in my apartment, I like reflected a lot about what food means to me. And it was always that connection that we build with other people and like sharing the love with others and hearing the stories. It's something that I love the most. <laughs> After I discovered your podcast and like your account, I just, It just like reminded me again about why I love food and it's not just for the post or the recipe, but there's more meaning to it. Because food, like a meal takes a lot of time to prepare and then it's like gone in like 10 to 15 minutes when you're preparing the meal. (laughs) It's the process in between that, that I really value. Mm, It's the time in between that you value the most. But from reading your captions and even from what you said earlier on about how you would tag along behind your mom, even though she just wanted the kitchen to be her haven, (laughs) you really value the time making the meal as well. Mm -hmm. I think it was probably tying back to my to being in the kitchen with my mom all the time. It would just be us together and the moments we share and at first, she doesn't let me like help her at all. But as I grew up, she would let me help her more and more. And I really valued that time I had with her. It's we don't like sometimes we don't talk or do anything else. But like, say that we were making dumplings, we would just make it together. But it's just that kind of like inner knowing that we both love something so much that I really value. Yeah, I know she could like probably work faster without me being there. But like, I think when I was older and she knows how much I love food and like help her out. She will always like just what she's making like the next day or like in a few hours and see if I wanted to jump in and help. And she knows I always want to help. What a barrier broken that she went from wanting it to be her own haven to inviting you in, not just tolerating you, but inviting you in. Yeah. 
tying back to her family history, so my great-grandparents. Mm-hmm. Both sides of my family are from Vietnam, but I'm Vietnamese and Chinese. And mm-hmm. so all the meals are kind of like a mix, whatever I'm eating, based on what she grew up with. But she's the second oldest out of nine other siblings because my grandmother had 10 children. Yeah. When you said just a few minutes ago, you said that being alone in your apartment and you said even the Black Lives Matter movement made you reflect more on the meaning of food. That was so surprising to me. Tell me how that movement made you think about food. Yeah, so I actually, when I moved to Austin, when every when COVID was like at its peak in New York, and then it was like a week after that the Black Lives Movement like happened. And so I was going through, I was like, I'm just settling down. It was just a lot of changes for me. And I think when I was reading all the things that were happening and learning about how even our own history books, this kind of like deceptive sometimes about the information that's being included or not included and I was and I don't know how exactly but I was probably reading reading a lot of other content and reflect back on my own heritage how much I don't know Mm. and versus like it seems like any other individual food bloggers that are black or identify as that have so much pride in their culture Mm -hmm. and it made me think back about how far apart I grew from it like mm. after I left home and it made me think when it really started and it was probably back when back in high school kind of it was around that age I feel like a lot of other people probably identify with this too not wanting to be associated with kind of like their culture or like the food uh, wanting to fit in with everyone else and I think because during that time I was so busy with school and all the extracurricular activities, I was barely home. And only on the weekends when, I, when I'm at home and able to like cook or do other things with my mom, but I don't do that when I'm in school. Mm-hmm. I think that's when it started. And then when I was in college, I basically didn't cook any like Chinese or like Vietnamese dishes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at that point I like, I've had so much like Chinese and Vietnamese food growing up that I don't want it and just wanted to explore other things. And I was just so happy, Becky. I'm like so grateful for you, like having discovered your account and learning and seeing how other people are connected with their culture just made me want to do it more and try. Well, thank you, Helen. I'm very honored and I have to say a little surprised, but it's just thankful to hear that this podcast has affected you that way. So where are you in that process of accepting your heritage and your family right now? I kind of talked about the beginning about my connection with my mom and food, but it was really starting when I was a sophomore in college. My sister was going through kind of like mental health problems. She was hospitalized during my spring semester for a couple weeks. And that really took a toll on my mom. I remember, so I went to Boston College. So it was only like a 40 minute ride, um, car ride back home. And so I was going home every day for like almost two weeks, just trying to get things in order. So my parents, my dad speaks and understands English a little bit more than 
my mom. But growing up, since my sister was the oldest, she kind of took on the role of helping my parents with like translation and all the billing information or like anything that requires the need to understand like English. She was there. So mm-hmm. she like played, she, there was a lot of stress on her shoulder. So I'm always so amazed by what she can do, but she's not always the most positive person. And so I think that led her to being in the hospital. And that was when things kind of like started spiraling down. Her recovery took a couple months. And then my mom was, is a really strong woman. Like she would yell at us if we did something wrong or she never like hesitated if, if she wants to express something or like she's angry and don't want us to do something. Mm-hmm. And I could see that starting to fade away from her when that happened to my sister. And then my junior year in college, it was my brother. Things really spiral out of control. My mom and my dad just try to appease him as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And so I think that was like the main thing. And it just like started getting worse and worse at home. And I think the tr- the worst part happened in Thanksgiving where um, at one point we had to bring my brother to the hospital because he, he couldn't be ca- like yeah. controlled. And so yeah. after that, I was just in school. I didn't want to go back home yeah. um, because of the things happening. And like I'm closest to my mom and my, my dad was always working, going to work. Um, he was only home once a week, so he doesn't really know much about what's going on. But I could see my mom was just trying to have everything under control. And so she just wants things to be as peaceful as possible. So trying to appease my brother at the same time, I was at like the point where seeing my brother treating her that way and her like being fine with it. I know she was entirely fine with it, but she didn't want anything else happening. It like really bothered me and I didn't want her seeing being hurt all the time. So Um, And she also didn't want me to help along with that. So I was in school. I just stayed in school as much as I can until I was home for like summer break. And even so, I tried to find a job where I was like working most of the time only at home to like sleep and stuff. Mm -hmm. And and I realized she didn't want to change the situation, didn't want me to help any further on. I think it was also at that point where I think food didn't even really bring us together. Like I like stopped like cooking with her because even on breaks, I try to be somewhere else with a friend or something because I know things weren't great at home and she, and I, I just didn't really want to see her in that position. It like broke yeah. my heart so much. Like my voice is shaking, <laughs> even like talking about it, but I'm okay. And <laughs> I'm okay. I'm totally okay. Um, and so it was at that point where I realized how unhappy I was being at home. And I actually took a trip to visit one of my friends, close friends that I met at college when I graduated. And it was only for a few days, but I realized I haven't laughed and smiled for so long. Mm. And so I realized, oh. Mm, Helen, I'm so sorry. No, I'm okay. It was just, it's just me reflecting back to the journey. And, yeah. I, <laughs> and I know at that point that I needed to leave. Yeah. And so I left for Austin 
took up photography, food photography, and went on from then on. And I would say Austin is definitely a slower city. And I really, that year, this past, that last year, 2019, was me learning to forgive, like, my parents, my mom, and, like, myself for, I think I had a lot of guilt leaving, but I really learned to let go of that. And uh, I also took a yoga teacher training mm-hmm. and that helped. And I had like other like spiritual teachers and mentors who helped me along the way. And and then I moved to New York and I finally felt better. And it was at that point where I was ready to move on. And so that's where I am now finally being more at home with myself and also with trying to with the black lives movement and getting back to my culture it was I was just remembering all the good times I have with my mom and what I wanted to share more yeah. of, um, in a way and I, yeah. I can't thank you enough Becky I feel like this is another level of me forgiving my mom mm. and I'm like tearing up. <laughs> oh, well, Helen, I wish I was there to hug you so badly. I just. No, I'm just like emotional thinking like mm-hmm. the power of food and like, like that connection that I have with my mom. I think whenever we do connect back, like mm-hmm. we did before, I feel like it'll be food related. And I'm so happy that I'm able to like remember like some of the recipes, like like I don't all I don't remember all the ingredients. I've been like testing things, but I feel like it'll be the food that brings us back together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because for you and your mom, that is your love language. And I think it's so, you know, of course, this is a podcast that romanticizes food and venerates food. And that is true for those of us whose love language is food. But I think that what's really important to note here is that food's not anybody's savior, right? All it is is a carrier for some of us. And what you're really doing, Helen, is you are communicating honor and respect for your mother. You're communicating forgiveness, you know, like you said, you're communicating sympathy because you see how she has been hurt in this. You know, you're communicating love and forgiveness. These are things that food can help us communicate, but those are the things, right? Those are where it's at. And that's why, you know, you saw spiritual leaders and things because food is a gift and it's a carrier of all of these things. But those those are the things that matter. And I, uh, um, words are failing me a little bit to express the admiration that I have for you, that you are fighting to keep these things. Many people would allow themselves to be engulfed with bitterness and to shift their gaze to look only at themselves and how this entire situation has hurt themselves. But you are looking at it through a lot of different lenses and trying to understand everyone and trying to extend grace to everyone while also healing yourself. And that is a balance that's very difficult to draw. It's very difficult to extend grace while also 
seeking your own health. And I just, I admire you and I appreciate you and I support you in doing that. And I'm so, it's very easy for me as someone who shares that love language of food Mm -hmm. to see how food can help you do that. And I also, you know, I'm expressing my admiration. I also want to express my hope that, you know, this is not the end of the story. My hope and my confidence that this is not the end of the story. This is kind of a, it's a very unpleasant chapter, you know, in the story of your relationship with your mom. But I'm very confident that you and your mom have a very strong, strong relationship and that it will weather this. Mm-hmm. I believe it, believe in it too. And I'm just glad that I connected with you because it reminds me more of all the good things. And it's just not the bad yeah. thing that happened these last couple of years. We shared, I share so many like beautiful memories that I have with my mom and, yeah. uh, and like, I, I don't even know how to word this. I feel like I stop holding on to that anger or like not really like grief, but it's also a form of love that I have for my parents, all the things I've done. I don't want to like hold up, like being angry right now, it doesn't help anyone or like it doesn't do anything but affect me overall. And I don't know. I don't don't want that. Like I'm a happy person and yeah. 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 And it sounds like a lot of your anger was, it was secondary. You know, what you really felt was hurt and frustration for your mom that yeah. she was in this place that she couldn't be herself. She couldn't express herself. And you felt so upset and sad for her mm-hmm. that that kind of manifested itself as anger. But really, I think at the heart of it, what I hear is that you're really feeling so much sympathy and concern for her, which is really Mm-hmm. And that's that's masked maybe even a little bit with the anger. And that's very beautiful, Helen. Yeah. And I've like spoke with other people before. And that's why when you mentioned not having a lot of um, South or East Asians on mm-hmm. the podcast, I feel I've heard a lot of other individuals, like not a lot, um, mm-hmm. some others who also have like struggles with their family and I don't know if this is entirely related but I know just from like my own family that we don't even really share what's going on with our relatives Mm -hmm. and my mom didn't really share a lot about what's going on with my grandmother her mother so yeah mental health plays a huge role and I just wish people talk about it more And just like not scraped by it because there are research that shows that like Asian families tend to keep them keep to themselves if there was other like mental health issues going on. Mm -hmm. Well, you're doing your part. I think that you are really doing something admirable, Helen. I'm sure there's people listening to this that are going to be extremely blessed by what you just shared and by such a constructive approach that you're taking to focus on these memories and to focus on these recipes. So I really applaud you, Helen. You are showing a way forward for people that do struggle with family issues. Um, Again, in the way that you are focusing on doing what you can do and then focusing on something so constructive to find healing. So good for you. Good for you. 
Listeners, did you feel the same hope that I felt as Helen expressed the love and respect she had for her mother and her willingness to even see things from her mother's perspective? Well, I recorded this interview with Helen several months ago, and I'm happy to say that what you're going to hear next is a conversation that Helen and I had just last Thursday when we got on the phone to talk about what has transpired in her relationship with her mother since we first recorded this interview a few months ago. So Helen, thank you so much for coming back on with me today. Yeah, I'm so happy to be able to speak with you again. (laughs) Oh, it's always a joy to speak to you. So first of all, tomorrow is the Lunar New Year. So happy New Year. Thank you. (laughs) Are you celebrating in any way? I might head into like Chinatown from New York because it's my first year here. And I know there's no big gatherings, but like it's still good to be surrounded. Yes. And so that's what I'm thinking of. But otherwise, just FaceTime with my family in the morning and going from there. Oh, well, that is exciting to hear because the last time we talked, I don't think you would have been FaceTiming with your family, correct? Yeah. So it was a little bit surprise for me as well. Yeah. So tell me, this is wonderful, wonderful news. Yeah. So the last time we talked, I wasn't kind of in contact with my parents and it's been about a year, a little over a year. And around, it was right after Thanksgiving day, my mom actually called me and I actually didn't pick up the phone. (laughs) You knew it was her and you just thought, I don't want to talk to her. Yeah, I used, I was doing something. I used the excuse that I'm busy. So I Uh (laughs) go to voicemail. Um, Even though I told myself I was like ready, but I think it was just a little bit shocking because it was kind of late into the evening and I was just tired that day as well. And I didn't have, I wasn't in the right mindset yet. Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it came as a shock. (laughs) Yeah, I don't want to like overreact and do anything. So Mm -hmm. the following day, I was walking to the farmer's market and I told, I psyched myself up the entire night. I couldn't sleep. <laughs> I, like, I don't know how it would go because one of our last conversation didn't really end up well through the phone. And so I was just a little bit worried of like whether I'll be able to handle it well, but I know I could. It's just mm-hmm. one of those like tiny fears inside me. Um, mm-hmm. And so when I was walking back, I called her and she picked up and we, she was just really worried and we talked things through. I was outside and uh, oh. I forgot <laughs> I forgot a lot of my Cantonese. <laughs> and so I was struggling for words, um, even mm. though I know what to say in English. Um, mm. But I broke it down as simply as possible, just basically putting like boundaries and explaining to my mom again why I was so upset and like kind of the reasons why I wanted to like get away and just reassuring her that I'm well and safe Mm -hmm. Um, and she explained her reasoning of how hard it is like being a mom and having Mm -hmm. like caring for all her children and Mm -hmm. don't really want to take side but at the same time she just loves us all and don't want us to be hurt and have arguments all the time Mm -hmm. a lot of things has happened in our family and I understood Mm -hmm. that it's just sometimes it's hard when at like certain situations where you're so angry that you say the wrong thing sometimes. And I mm-hmm. like in the back of my head, I know she didn't mean it, but it's still kind of like her at, mm-hmm. at like the moment when she's 
said it, but Mm -hmm. we like apologized to each other. And like I mentioned, I set up some boundaries, like Mm -hmm. certain conversations. Like I'm, I don't mind talking about like just being respectful that um, if it was in regards to like either my sister or my brother, like they Mm -hmm. both of them can like talk to me instead of like going through back and forth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's so much growing up and we're Mm -hmm. adults now and I don't want like the barrier Mm -hmm. at all. And if they do want to speak to me, then just like call me. Mm -hmm. I bet your mom appreciated that also. Who wants to be in the middle? Yeah. And I think, from the time off, she she really rethinked stuff. Um, the last time I spoke with her, she was a little bit like depressed, and now I feel like she's. I think she's doing well, and she was really excited that I called her back. And from there, we just basically talked about food, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, making, and um, me just asking her questions about recipes. It mm-hmm. went way better than I expected and I I didn't do anything the rest of the Saturday because I was just so happy and so I felt like something lifted off my chest and I didn't even know it was there mm. so it was good for both of us mm. um, mm-hmm. Helen, that is the best news that I could possibly hear and you know I, I mentioned this to you the last time mm-hmm. I'm not surprised because you were in our last conversation, you showed so much love and respect for your mother. And I know that a parent's love is enduring. And I am not surprised, but I'm so happy. And I commend you both because it's so easy to be stubborn and to let things grow. I Again, <laughs> I admire you so much because these relationships can it's easy to dig in your heels and you didn't do that. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing to hear. I'm so, so happy to hear it. So does your mom know how much you talk about her? (laughs) This is a funny thing, Becky. (laughs) So apparently some of my cousins, my younger cousins found me. Uh Uh-huh. And they told and my mom had absolutely no clue. And so (laughs) she, I think she asked my sister about it. And I think they Uh kind of, up my profile <laughs> did they <laughs> so my mom doesn't understand english or read like mm. being able to be there at all but mm-hmm. um she's able to see me like sometimes if my sister was around showing her like my instagram stories or kind of like my photos and she told me like they're all so pretty and mm. she even mentioned the pineapple bun so yeah that was a funny part but i don't think she knows the story like the writing itself she doesn't know how much you compliment her and speak about her so so beautifully and eloquently. I don't think so. I didn't ask her directly, but I'm assuming my sister wouldn't have like translated everything. Mm. Mm. Uh, well, I'm glad that she found it because that, like you said, it's how you guys related. So I'm sure it means a lot to her that you are memorializing, you know, these recipes and these moments. Yeah, I'm glad I went on to try more of our family recipes and just like mm-hmm. cultural dishes rather than letting them yeah. like kind of die away. Yeah. Um, I am too. Yeah. Yeah. So how often do you and your mom speak now? Um, this is a, another story I wanted to share actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mentioned that we didn't talk for about a year mm-hmm. and I actually thought that my mom didn't want to call me, but mm. um, Actually, there was something wrong with our, with their phone line the entire year. And they didn't realize until like a couple months ago when they 
realized a lot of our relatives, they weren't getting it at all. And people were saying that they've been calling. And so mm-hmm. my sister finally went to check and some parts of the phone line was like broken and they had to replace everything. It was just a major misunderstanding from my part. I thought they didn't want to talk to me and I was a little bit upset. I was actually really upset about it. Sure, of course. Yes. <laughs> and so I, she told me and, I, and it was like a relief. Yes. Oh, I just really, truly, nothing could make me happier than this because, you know, families do belong together. And I understand that that's not possible in all cases. Also, you raised the pineapple buns just a couple minutes ago. I ended up making the pineapple buns, loving those as well. (laughs) And those are the ones that I photographed to go along with the episode. And Mm -hmm. I was partially motivated to do that because of these, the super sweet story that you shared about those. So can you tell us the story of you and the pineapple buns? Yeah, so growing up, they were actually my sister's favorite. And so every Mm -hmm. time we go to a bakery, my mom would always buy a bunch, and she'll bring them home. And we kind of have this she has like a ritual where she'll, whatever pastries like pineapple buns or egg tarts, she'll honor them to our ancestors with the mm-hmm. shrine that we have in our house. And then we can eat them like afterwards. Mm-hmm. And so my mom would always get a bunch of pineapple buns just because they're actually easier for my dad to bring to work with him because he doesn't eat breakfast. Mm-hmm. He just leaves because he works really long hours and mm-hmm. at the time he's home, it's past midnight and he has to wake up like early again and so Mm -hmm. I'll always see that and wondering why my mom don't make it herself and like Mm -hmm. she really knows or thought of like using the internet to figure it out and so Mm -hmm. at that time I wasn't vegan yet but I just figured out how to use our oven in Mm -hmm. middle school and so I spent an entire day kind of like testing out how to make bread Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that was the first major bacon project that I had because I never waited for dough to rise for that long period of time. Mm-hmm. My dad really liked it. My mom was so surprised. I was actually able to make something similar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the pineapple buns that she gets at the bakeries. Yes. What a sweet, sweet story. Hello again, listeners. This is the end of that wonderful update from Helen. And before we return to the original interview and move on to other topics, I wanted to let you know about the print shop that I opened a month ago. You may or may not know that I take storytelling images of every single recipe that my guests share. My images celebrate extraordinary light and the beauty and diversity of natural ingredients. I use these images in the blog posts for the recipes and graphics to promote the show. And now a select number of these images are available to you, my listeners, and hopefully to new listeners as well, in the hopes that the images will continue to amplify and celebrate the stories of my guests and to further the mission of this podcast to celebrate the gift of food. The images are available in a wide array of products, including actually digital downloads. I thought a long time about this, but because this is an international podcast, I really wanted my listeners to have the opportunity to display prints in their home, especially prints um, that represent an episode that was really meaningful to them. I wanted them to be able to do that without paying exorbitant shipping costs. So to visit the shop where every image literally tells a story, just head over to my website, thestoriedrecipe.com, 
and click on the print shop tab. It's all the way to the right. All right. And now let's return to Helen's story. When I read your captions, there's so much pride that you have in your family. And I sense that there's some really powerful stories here that you are right to be proud of. So I'd love to go back a couple generations or just a generation and share what you're willing to share there. I definitely would love to start with your grandmother Mm -hmm. with 10 children. Tell me what you can about her story. Yeah, so I don't really know much about like my great grandparents. My so they all grew up and lived in Vietnam. But from my mom's side, um, I know my dad. So I know the family is kind of complicated. I never got the full story, and I don't think he really knew, know either. But both my great grandfathers owned farms and restaurants back in Vietnam. And so that's where kind of like the food came into play. So my grandmother, I don't really know too much about her side of the story. Um, Just that she worked together with my grandfather at the restaurant business back in Vietnam. Whenever he's at work, she'll be at home taking care of my aunts and uncles and my mom would always be the one helping her too, kind of like me helping her mm-hmm. um, up. But she doesn't really know much about her background. Like back then there were a lot of floods and wars going on. And so even her birth certificate, she, does, she doesn't really know her birthday either. Your um, grandmother doesn't know her own birthday. Yeah, because a lot of documents were gone back then. And... I don't really know how it happened. Do you happen to know when your grandmother was born? Like around when? Are we talking about the 1950s? Where where are we? You're so young. You're so young. I'm trying to place this. She's in her probably like 70s. Okay. So right about the fifth, right about 1950 or 1940, 1950 around there. Okay. Yeah. That's what my mom told me um, that. Her, we don't ever really know if her document, like the birth date on her documents are accurate. Just when people were trying to put like things back together, mm-hmm. um, some of the, mis- the information might not be true. Um, so she so- was probably born maybe even, like you said, during a war when things were just in so much chaos, they didn't even document things. Yeah, my mom's. So her, her, my grandmother's mother, great great grandmother. I don't really know much about her either, because I, I've, I've never met her, or like my my mother never did either. So, yeah, there's a lot of that history that I don't know, which I wish I do. Yeah, both of them, both my grandparents had farmland back then, and my mom would always be helping them with that. And then it wasn't until I think there were some wars going or like conflict going on in the country that my uncles started immigrating Mm -hmm. to the U.S. And my dad actually went with one of my uncles first to... Were your mom and dad married at the time? I think they were just married too. Yeah. That he went to the U.S. first, so to Boston. And he was there for a few months before he got all the documents ready for my mom to move over. And so when my mom could, she came to the, she went alone for the first time on a plane. Wow. Um, 
yeah, I remember her telling when she was telling me the story how when she landed, she wanted to go back because mm. it's so different. And people were towering her, like people are so tall, and she's pretty petite um, herself. But my dad was there, and so she, uh, she and my dad lived together with my other aunts and uncles until they could find a home to settle down. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this I, was um this was is was this like the eighties maybe? That was early nineties. The like, early nineties, okay, but still before you were born. Yeah. So okay. my mom I think had my sister a year later. And okay. then when I was born, that was when they bought a house officially. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And your grandmother still was not in the States at the time. No, I don't know at what point that we got my uncles. It was probably my uncles that got the documents ready for her to move here. Okay. But she is just a warrior (laughs) herself, taking care of all the children growing up, um, all 10 children. And then I've never heard the story of her moving to the U.S., but like I know she loves she loves traveling like she would go back to Vietnam any if you bought her a plane, <laughs> she'll just go on. And as long as someone picks her up at the airport, she'll be fine. But yeah, she took care of my, my aunts and uncles and then my cousins, whenever my, my aunts or uncles have to be at work. So wow. she's been here for all of us and she's just as fierce as ever. If mm. you with her, she would not, she would just yell at you. <laughs> <laughs> so how many, after 10 children, how many grandchildren does she have? Oh my God, I can't even count right now. <laughs> wow. And then which, which, where was your mom in the list? My mom is second. She's the second oldest. She's the second oldest. So she, yes, like you said, she had a lot of responsibility, I can imagine. Yeah, just taking care of my other, my uncles and yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So she was mm-hmm. pretty close. I would say out of all my aunts and uncles, she's the closest to my grandma. Okay. okay. And then, well, tell me how everybody kind of migrated in short succession of each other. So once you were said you were about 25 minutes outside of Boston, Mm -hmm. were all 10 kids in and around Boston? Did you grow up with that kind of extended family? Yeah. So for my mom's side, we actually lived five minutes away from my grandma. That's amazing. Uh, She lived in a big house. And before I think a few of my aunts and uncles would live in the same house Mm-hmm. As her, and then, like, just as we grew up and they have their own children, um, they found other homes that are also close by. So, I have three uncles who live like just a block away, like around the corner mm-hmm. from my grandmother, and then my oldest aunt lived outside of Boston, but it's like a 45 minute drive. Yeah. Yeah, they can be there in any minute. If somebody's in the hospital, they can just hop on over. It's not like they need to catch a plane or anything. Yeah, so that's all my mom's side of the family is in Massachusetts. But then my dad, I have like one aunt and three other uncles on his side. They live throughout many parts of the world. I have one uncle who's in Australia. One, My aunt is in California. And then two other uncles who are in some part of Asia. Okay. Okay. We don't really keep on contact with them. Okay. Okay. My dad didn't even really want to talk about it to us. Mm-hmm. So I don't know much about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But he took 
his love for cooking to with him to the U.S. And he's always worked as a chef somewhere. So, and I find this amazing. So mm-hmm. you have so many generations. Yeah. Of you have such a strong heritage of cooks, and it seems like it's always been the men cooking in commercial kitchens and the women at home cooking in home kitchens. Yeah, I would yeah. say my. I don't think there was ever. I don't want to say stigma, but like what there, like my aunts or like my mom working. My mom actually did try when I was little working at like different restaurants as well but she was just always worried that something would happen to us that she preferred to be um, a housewife yeah so she could look after us yeah you feel like it was a free choice for her yeah my Mm -hmm. my dad never like forced her to work or like felt like she needed even though he works long hours he doesn't really complained yeah yeah so the kind of foods that even back in Vietnam, I'm thinking of your grandmother, you know, cooking at home for 10 children mm-hmm. and then your grandfather cooking in a restaurant. Would they have cooked similar foods? Would they be cooking the same, you know, faux, for instance, and just once at a restaurant and ones at home? Or is there kind of like restaurant food and home food? You know what I mean? Because I think here in America, we have restaurant foods and home cooking and the two are related, but mm-hmm. definitely different also. I want to say it's different. My mom didn't really talk about it, but it seems like my grandfather was always busy at the restaurant. And it would be my mom preparing, my mom helping my mom, my grandmother prepare the meals. And sometimes we, it wasn't like big feasts or anything, like just simple meals to help them get through the day because there's so many of them. Um, my grandmother's always feeding um, someone in their family. And so... Yeah, I would say it's probably, it's most likely different. And it's just an integration of like different Vietnamese and Chinese dishes mm-hmm. based on like, like the neighborhood they're in and stuff. Right. right. So, then so then when you were here in the U.S., so I'm thinking of your childhood, you know, you were surrounded by nine aunts and uncles, your grandmother, who obviously had honed her cooking skills were there. Your mom's an amazing cook. Your dad's a chef. Were family gatherings just full of food and cooking or was everyone so exhausted from cooking in their normal everyday lives that you'd open a bag of chips when everybody got together you know mm-hmm. there were definitely gatherings um, mm-hmm. all the time especially at my grandmother's place everyone when it's like dinner time all my aunts and uncles would be there my mom we don't really go there often just because she prefers to cook at mm-hmm. home and I don't think any of my siblings or I actually liked the food that my aunts or uncles would bring just because they're, it's just different. Oh, it's not Vietnamese food. Not, they, they are. I don't uh-huh. think they're good cooks. Oh, okay. So maybe your mom's the only one who took that from your grandmother and grandfather. Yeah. Even when my aunts, whenever they try to make like a Vietnamese dish, that if they don't really know the recipe, they will always come to my mom. Okay. Okay. So a lot of the meals are like my mom will make a big batch. A lot of my uncles or aunts, whenever they're off from work or like just want to chat, they will always come over and they'll always ask if my mom has food. (laughs) 
like, I think they like my mom's recipes more than anything. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? This seems like the perfect time then. Tell me the story about this faux recipe that you gave me. Yeah. It's, it's just a staple at home. Like, mm-hmm. My mom doesn't know what to make. She'll always make for, especially on the days when my mom, when my dad is off from work. It's just a simple recipe. Um, she'll prepare the broth the day before. And in the morning when she wakes up, she'll just have it ready so that when we do come home, um, she'll have a meal prepared for us. Mm. Again, back to your dad and mm-hmm. his cooking. So did he cook in a Vietnamese restaurant or did he cook somewhere else? He cooked in a lot of different ones. Throughout the time I was growing up, it was mainly, I think, Chinese restaurants Mm. he cooked and yeah I don't really like his cooking <laughs> you don't tell me about that I think it's because he works in the restaurant a lot and he seasons things differently and I feel like my mom's dishes are always like it feels more homemade this is so <laughs> interesting to me and I was like I would complain to my mom when I oh. saw her next I was like I don't like his cooking <laughs> <laughs> at all I mean, it's almost like a joke at this point, right? Like every sitcom will be like, dad can't cook, you know, but here your dad is a professional chef and you're complaining about his food to your mom, which is amazing because it does show how much our love of food, at least home cooking is connected to what's comfortable to us and what's familiar. And really, again, what speaks love because it was your mom. I mean, your dad's clearly a phenomenal cook, but your mom was the one who was speaking love to you through her food. It was her love language. And it's almost like when it wasn't spoken as love, you know what I mean? When it didn't come from her in that familiar way, I'm sure, you know, nine people out of 10 would taste that dish that your dad made and say it's delicious, right? It just wasn't what was familiar and comfortable to you. So do you think that your dad loves food or do you think it was just a job for him? I think he does. It's part of his family history. I think he takes a lot of pride from having that side of the family with him, like the food, the restaurant. Like he works really long hours um, as a chef and then having to travel back and forth from Boston back home. Do you admire that in your dad? I do. He's the main financial supporter growing up and he's a really quiet person, but he never complains that he has to work that many hours and he only has one day off every week. It sounds like your mom and dad have a good partnership that works for them. I think they, <laughs> so they bicker a lot. My mom, yeah. my mom would always yell at him for something. And yeah, <laughs> it's just funny seeing their interactions like growing up. Um, mm-hmm. My dad doesn't really like bicker back. He would just like mumble something. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah I don't think my mom was just like she's scary when when she's angry so yeah yeah, yeah. and it's just interesting because when I read you I, I read that you said that and I thought maybe that is something that you would resent or hold against her but it really isn't in fact it was hard for you when you saw her lose that that temper yeah you almost took that as a way that she loved you? I would say so. And I, like, honestly, whenever she yells at me, <laughs> I would say it's it's my fault. <laughs> I oh. should have been better. <laughs> yeah. I didn't see that side until I look back. 
that she was just protecting me and just don't want me to get hurt and stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's hard for her. Like, she stayed at home as a housewife throughout all the years, and she didn't really branch out a lot. So I really respect her for that. For sacrificing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's talk about, can we talk about this? Now, I'm pronouncing it wrong. When I say faux, I'm pronouncing it wrong, aren't I? A little bit. Like, fa, like F-U-H, like duh, but. Fa. Yeah. That's oh. like Okay. Yes, I was. I was pronouncing it wrong. Okay. <laughs> Thank I, you for telling I me. I don't speak Vietnamese, but like my mom, like for some reason, taught us Cantonese growing up, <laughs> and have us like learn Vietnamese on our own. I just never really picked it up, but I understand a few words here and there. Do most Vietnamese speak Cantonese? I want to say so. I think it was the area that my mom grew up in had a lot of. Cantonese speaker as well and so she picked up on that the entire family had that growing up so they spoke both that's really interesting to me okay you just taught me something all right so I made this yesterday mm-hmm. and we did really like it we ate it at four fifteen, and everybody slurped it up in 10 minutes and went off extremely happily to oh, their <laughs> to their activities so thank you for that it was super fascinating to me. I've never made anything like this before, to be honest with you. And I really, really enjoyed the process. You specified it as vegan. Mm -hmm. So traditional pho, it's made with beef. Um, Okay. The way my mom make it has like meat in it, but I'm vegan now. So I try to like adapt it, which is like a fun process to me. Yeah. Um, come up with it but I know in Vietnam there are a lot of other I know some dishes they would add jai um c-h-a-y I'm not pronouncing it um correctly but it's basically just representing that it's vegetarian for those who are but I think traditionally it's just made with beef or any other meat products I see I just made the broth vegan okay so Mm -hmm. I was completely thrown. I had to go back and read it three different times to make sure I was reading it correctly when you said two large fresh pears. And as I went on and read the spices, these are very, they're spices that I associate with sweet things. And you actually do call for rock candy in here. So there's definitely a sweet layer to Mm -hmm. this broth, which was so surprising, but so interesting to me. Yeah, I think that's what makes pho so unique. Like the broth is simple, but it's really the spices that brings everything together. Okay, so the next thing I wanted to ask about this, I was really fascinated by this step. So you have us put in, you're having us make this vegetable broth, this very Mm -hmm. layered, nuanced, flavored vegetable broth and you have us put in the vegetables and the pears a little bit of ginger and then you had us char ginger star anise cardamom and cinnamon which is really interesting to me so first of all when you say char i'm imagining like you get a crust maybe even a little bit of a blackening Mm -hmm. on it is that what you do yeah you do okay and that it brings out the flavor more just because my broth is vegan, I was just playing around with the recipe mm-hmm. to enhance the flavor. And you can roast it as well. And 
I just find that like the spices come together even more stronger when you do that. That's amazing. And then again, this was very, it was very layered. I noticed that you mentioned earlier that your mom would always let it wait until the next day. Ideally, would I do that? If you want the flavor to be stronger, I always wait till the next day. That's good to know. I was just, when I was making it, I was like, a lot of these dishes are so simple. It starts off with the broth. And that's why I made it from scratch rather than get the store-bought ones. Because I think the store-bought ones, some of the vegetarian ones have like tomatoes in it, which is not traditional in Vietnamese dishes. Well, like the broth. And so I didn't want to use that. So I started from scratch. And I think like having like the time for it to boil and adding the spices in just enhances the flavor even more. The last question that I had is you called for the rock candy and you said that it could be replaced with cane sugar. So is rock candy, I mean, I've seen it. Mm-hmm. Is it something that you would get at an Asian market or would you get it just in a regular grocery store? I've never seen it at a ro- regular grocery store. Yeah. That's why I put in like an Asian super, a Chinese supermarket. Yeah, it's pretty common there. We use rock candy a lot for dessert. So if we can kind of go back to your mom a little bit, can I just talk about this quote? You said she could go the entire day without eating until dinner sometimes, and even then does not eat a lot, always wanting to save whatever she made for me, my siblings, and my dad, never wanting much, and will be happy and satisfied seeing us happy and fed. First of all, can you tell me a little bit about that, about that memory? When I say she could go an entire day without eating, I meant it. Like There's like a lot of days in the week where she would just wait until the late afternoon when she starts eating. And I think part of it is when you said scarcity as well, like wanting us to have the best of the ingredients, the freshest food for us first, just as her way to show of her way showing love to us. I think that's a big part of it. And then I think it's part of her motherly nature and wanting to provide the best for us. Mm. Um, she never really talked much about it, but like just having so many aunts and uncles, I know at times it could be hard having everyone be full completely. And I know when things were like maybe not like financially well, it's just everyone sharing as much as the meal as they can until things get better. Mm-hmm. And I think that was part of it. And even with with pho, like I know meat is in it. Like beef is usually with it when served, but like at times when they don't have much, they don't even add the beef. They'll mm-hmm. just have the broth and the noodles mm-hmm. and be full with it. And that was, I think she probably took that with her as yeah. well. You talked about food kind of being this way that you feel connected to your mom Mm -hmm. and your heritage. And I'm curious, in what ways do you see yourself like these people that have influenced you, your mother, your father, and your grandmother, these people we've talked about? I think they definitely influenced me in the way of like how I perceive food as a way not to like only show love for the people I love, like I care for but also like as a way to honor my heritage and honor like the people who grew the ingredients for us, knowing how hard my grandmother, my dad worked, my mom, and like having to grow like our own vegetables when we have out, when I had a garden with her, I think it just made me appreciate 
the life that I have, the ingredients that I have and anything that I could prepare and eat, like, especially the meal in front of me. You know, we all have genetics and then we have the choices we make. Are there ways that you try to be like your grandmother or your father or your mother? I definitely, I think I got their work ethic, Mm -hmm. never giving up in terms of like pursuing what you want, even through like hard times. I know it must be really hard for my dad and like my grandmother, my mom having to like work long hours and feeling alone in a new country, especially when they just moved to the U.S. not knowing any English. And it just like taught me to keep on going and never forgetting what you want to achieve, that you can you can do anything. Just keep trying, never giving up. And if it's hard, give yourself a break and um, just get back up and keep on going. Mm-hmm. I really respect them in that way. Because mm-hmm. I know it's not, it's not easy being a parent and it's not easy having to juggle that along with the work, having to work too. Yeah. 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 I appreciate appreciate that. Thank you so, so much for this time, Helen. I have enjoyed it so much. Mm -hmm. And hopefully I can meet you one day. Absolutely. Uh, You're just in New York, right? Yeah. And you're in Maryland? Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We'll traveling to DC a lot. Do you travel to DC a lot? No, I see you, but I haven't for a while. So I was like, I need to make a trip there. Yes. Well, if you ever do stop on by and if we head up to New York, I'd love to meet you for lunch sometime. I think we could talk for forever. It would be so easy. And all your kids, I just love seeing them cook with you. They're so cute. Oh, thank you. I sure do love them. That's for sure. (laughs) Even if maybe sometimes I sound like your mom yelling like a crazy person. Hard. You have to do homeschooling too. And I'm like, parents, like I give you a lot of credit right now because <laughs> homeschooling is hard. We need- it is hard, but you know, I just, it was like not even a decision because it was just so clearly, like when you just know so clearly something is the best thing to do, it's really not even a decision. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh, well, here's what I have to do. And then I kind of had to deal with with like, okay, well, that's going to mean things are going to look a little different and grow a little more slowly, but this is just what I have to do. So, and I enjoy, I do enjoy it. I actually do love to teach. I love to read. Mm -hmm. So that part is lucky. That part's good. And if I could ever be of help with anything, please let me know. Helen, you're so kind. I appreciate it so much. And I will reach out if I need the help. And of course it goes both ways. So thank you very, very much for your time. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. You enjoy the rest of your day. You too. Take care, Helen. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Once again, my friends, thank you so, so much for listening today. As always, Helen's contact information is available on thestoriedrecipe.com. And both the recipes for the Vietnamese pho and the pineapple buns are available there as well. And even if you don't feel like heading over to the website, that's fine. I'd really encourage you to open up Instagram and follow Helen at a step full of you right now. If you enjoyed this episode, would you please forward it to a family or friend or rate and review the podcast? Both of these really mean a lot to me personally, and they truly help a lot as I seek to grow this podcast. Thank you and have a great week, my friends.